Okay. Thank you. Oops. Adam Ward. Hi, I'm an Alanon from West Blockton, Alabama, and my name is Bo Templin. Hello. Hi, y'all. Uh, I'm going to try my best not to talk too fast for y'all. So, uh, <laughs> I want to tell y'all that I just love being up here where you close meeting was the Lord's Prayer. But I ain't said the whole Lord's Prayer since I've been here. About a third way through, I had to stop and catch up with y'all. <laughs> oh, it's good to be good to be back up in, uh, up here and uh, to see some old friends and and to make some new friends and uh, uh, especially to see Jenny and Tom because uh, we've been uh, we've been a special part of each other's life for quite a while. So thanks, Mark, for. And whoever helped you for, for doing the deal and getting me up here to the party. Because let me tell you something, that's, that's the way I look at these things. Uh, September uh, 4th, 1982, Labor Day weekend, 1982, I was introduced to this way of life at the party. And I've been coming to the parties ever since, every chance I get. Shirley and I, uh, we pick, I picked her up at a treatment center at 12 noon that Saturday. Uh, we'll talk a little more about that in a minute. And they sent us directly to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, where Tuscaloosa was having their AA Al-Anon anniversary. And uh, they held it on the campus of the university. Y'all, uh, yeah, yeah, we got a football team down there. Somebody said, roll tide. <laughs> and I now live about 20 minutes away from that football stadium. So, uh, so, but I was introduced to this way, this way of life at the party. And if you're new here, and I, I hope before you leave here this weekend that, that you feel like you've been at a big party, because let me tell you what we're doing here this weekend. We're celebrating recovery. Celebrating recovery. Uh, we do that in a lot of different ways, and uh, uh, the greatest way to do it is like this weekend where uh, where we've got learned people that carry us through the steps. And uh, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm real honored to have been included on this program. Really, these are some of my heroes, some of my favorite people. And uh, to get to share a program with them is, is even just icing on the cake. So... One more thank you, and then we'll and give me about an hour and a half left to talk about me. <laughs> now, this is a thank you that I've been doing from podiums like this for the last several years. And this thank you goes strictly to the alcoholics that are sitting in this room with me tonight, this afternoon. If you are a recovered alcoholic sitting in this room with me, from the bottom of my heart, I want to say thank you. Thank you for being there July the 29th, 1982, when my gal reached out her hand. Because, see, the bottle had her, and I couldn't do anything about it. And I was driving myself crazy trying to find a way to get her sober and keep her sober. And, of course, you all know I never found that way. 
But on July 29, 1982, when she reached out her hand, you had the hand of AA there for her. And you took her hand and you put your arms around her and you loved her back to health. And she didn't have to die from a fatal disease that we didn't even know she had. How can I ever repay the debt of gratitude that I feel to Alcoholics Anonymous? Now, we used to say this real regular back in the old days. And we're just not doing it as much anymore. But I'll, I'll tell you what, I'm doing my part. Every opportunity I get, I'm saying thank you to Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, when I introduced myself to you a while ago, I introduced myself as an Al-Anon. Now, I want to take a few minutes and talk about that. Because, see, September 4, 1982, when I got here, I thought being married surely made me an Al-Anon. Now, what I've learned is being married to Shirley qualified me for Al-Anon. It didn't make me an Al-Anon. And there's several things that I've been doing for the last almost 34 years that, uh, that enabled me to stand up here today and tell you that I'm a member of Al-Anon. Uh, and we, the first thing I do in order to tell you I'm a member of Al-Anon is I suit up and show up and I occupy that chair in an Al-Anon meeting on a real regular basis. Now, I know that this is a program of action. We've already heard that talked about this weekend. But I know it's, it's, it's a program of action. I know you can't get it by osmosis because I tried. <laughs> yeah, I tried. And it took seven months of me suiting up, showing up, and taking up space in your meetings seven months before I finally had my moment of clarity and, uh, and got a sponsor and got involved in a program of action. Uh, so even though I know that it's a program of action, I still today believe that for me it began by suiting up and showing up and occupying that chair. Because, see, I, I was occupying that chair in a room full of y'all. A room full of winners. Okay? A room full of people that were willing to share their experience, strength, and hope with me. And even though it took seven months of me for me to get miserable enough to do something about me, I was still there and I was still, the message was being carried to me whether I wanted to, to do anything with it or not. So I know it's a program of action. Well, let me explain it to you this way. I can take that chair right there and I can take it out to the back of Serenity Hill. That's, that's where we live in West Blockton. We, we're land barons down there. We've got two acres. <laughs> that's on the side of a hill and we call it Serenity Hill. Because if you show up on a good day, you might find a little bit of serenity down there. Yeah. But anyhow, I can take that chair and I can take it back there to the back of that property and on Serenity Hill. I can set it down in the middle of that chicken coop and I can go out there and I can sit down and occupy that chair in the middle of that chicken coop every day for 20 years. And guess what? Yeah, I still won't be a chicken. That's right. <laughs> but listen to this. If I do that every day for 20 years, at the end of that time, I'm going to know a whole lot about chickens. Do you hear what I'm saying? And I'm going to know how the successful chickens are getting it done. So that's what I mean by suiting up and showing up and letting you winners de demonstrate for me, okay, what I was going to have to do if I wanted to be like you when I grew up. 
So thank goodness the winners were there for me. Now, the second thing I would share with you that I do in order to tell you I'm a member of Al-Anon is I have a home group. Okay? Now, when I got here uh, Labor Day weekend 1982, I didn't need a home group. See, when I got here, I didn't need Al-Anon. There was nothing wrong with me, thank you. <laughs> she had the problem. And if she didn't drink, we were going to be okay. Now, the sickest part of that is that I really believed it. When I told you that, I believed it with all my heart. It wasn't denial. It was delusion. <laughs> it was delusion. But you see, my wife went through a treatment center about uh, 40 miles north of Birmingham, and that treatment center, remember this was 1982, was staffed just, just about completely by recovered alcoholics. And they had a thing up there called Family Week. And uh, we had two kids, Mike was 15, Sissy was 13, and they wanted me and both kids to come up there on Monday and live in the family wing and go to the sessions and, and stay through Friday and be a part of that deal up there for five days. Now, they, they call it family week. I call it hell week. Because, <laughs> you know, I, I went up there and, I, like I told you, there was nothing wrong with me, but I had not been on the property 15 minutes till I was in a shouting argument with the lady that was in charge of, uh, of the family wing down there. Because we went down there with our little bags and we walked in and she said, Mike, I want, see, we wasn't the only family there. I said, Mike, I want you to be up at this end of the hall in the room with Mr. So-and-so. And, -so. and uh, Sissy, I want you down at this end of the hall in the room with Miss So-and-so. And I said, hold on just a minute. You putting my two teenage children in rooms with people that I've never seen before and nothing know nothing about. I'm not so sure that I approve of that. And she looked at me with a big smile on her face and she said, Oh, Mr. Templin, it's not necessary for you to approve of it. Because <laughs> you got 15 minutes to be in that room right there and unpack because we're going to have a, a, a get-together session in 15 minutes. But there was nothing wrong with me, you see. Nothing wrong. A couple of things that happened up there during Hell Week that have made a big impression on me. The first thing that happened up there is I heard one of those counselors make this statement. He said, the ones that stay sober when they get out of here are the ones that go to Alcoholics Anonymous. And in the blink, snap of your fingers, my job and life changed. See? Because see, I've already told you, if she didn't drink, we were going to be okay. I just heard him tell me if she went to AA, she wouldn't drink. So I became the driver. Yeah. And then right before we left up, up there, uh, one of the other counselors said, uh, you know, it's a good idea to go to 90 meetings in 90 days. And we did. Now, if you're in Al-Anon, you understand that. But see, I wasn't going for me. Okay. I was the driver, and we lived in Hueytown at that time, which is a suburb of Birmingham, and there was just plenty of meetings all around down there, and we started this 90 meetings in 90 days, and uh, and I was 
I was driving her every night, and we was going to a meeting, and we'd get there, and we'd walk in, and uh, we'd sit down on the front row right where I took us, and uh, and we'd be sitting there, and that speaker would say something important, and I'd pop her with that elbow. <laughs> now, I was listening real close, because, see, I knew that she was still in a fog, and she was going to have questions, and I was going to have to answer them when we got home. Yeah, I became an expert real quick. But I also learned something about UAAs during that 90-day period. I learned that y'all got real tunnel vision about a couple of areas of your program. And one area you're real serious about is closed meetings. Because, see, the night came that we showed up at Bessemer there, which seven months later was to become my home group. Okay, and uh, and and became Shirley's home group, and uh, uh, the guys met me at the door and said, "Bo, uh, it's closed meeting. You can't come in here tonight." I said, "Hey, well, wait a minute, guys. Y'all don't understand." <laughs> and they they started laughing. They said, "Yeah, we do." <laughs> I said, "No, man. It, you know, it's my job. I said, it's it's what I do." <laughs> And they, they said, no, Bo, it's time for you to, to, to let go of Shirley and turn her over to us. But there's a meeting over there in that room right there that you've been, you need to go to. And, of course, it was the Al-Anon meeting. Now, I didn't have old-time sponsorship at that time. It was seven months later before I got old-time sponsorship. And... and uh, Right now, what I'm going to tell you about old-time sponsorship is that one of the very first things that, uh, that Jim and Fran, this, this couple, kind of adopted me, and uh, one of the very first things they told me was, from this point on, Bo, you'll go to every meeting you go to at least 30 minutes early, prepared to stay until it's over. Old-time stuff. Thank God. My sponsors came out of the old time. Go 30 minutes early, prepared to stay till it's over. And, and I remember Jim telling me, now, Bo, most AA and Al-Anon meetings are over in an hour. But not all of them are. And I can't tell you, we don't do it so much anymore, but I can't, how many times at 9 o'clock at night when we said amen at the AA meeting in Bessemer, we walked over and made a fresh pot of coffee because there was newcomers there that needed us, and we didn't we didn't we didn't leave till till we'd given them some hope. Uh, let me tell you about going early. If you hadn't ever been going thirty minutes early, you need to try this. If you go to your meeting thirty minutes early, you get to chair a lot of meetings. Now. <laughs> I don't mean pick the topic and run it. I mean set the chairs up. Get the room ready for the meeting. So get in the habit of going early and chairing meetings. If you go 30 minutes early, you get to uh, uh, make a lot of coffee. Just exactly like you want it. And you no longer have to gripe about how strong it is or how weak it is. You make it just like you want it. But the greatest thing in the world about going 30 minutes early is if you're there 30 minutes early, you'll be there when that newcomer comes in the door and you can be one of the very first ones to extend the love of the program to them. 
That's the good part. That's the fun part. 30 minutes early, prepared to stay till it's over. But see, like I said, I didn't have that, that sponsorship that night uh, when those men met me at the door. It was three minutes to eight for an eight o'clock meeting. And I walked over there to that door and I stopped. The door to my uh, home group is at the back of the room. I stopped there in the door and I made a quick head count. There were 23 women and one other guy. And there was an empty chair right beside him, right down front. So I hustled down there and got that seat. And they opened the meeting. The meeting was over. We closed with the Lord's Prayer. And then the guy turned around and introduced himself to me. I looked at him. I said, well, Kervin, I'm glad there's at least one more guy here. He started laughing. He said, oh, Bo, I'm moving to Panama City Beach in the morning. <laughs> said, this is my last meeting in Bessemer. And he was serious because he ain't been back. I've seen him down on the coast some, but I, he ain't been back to Bessemer. But see, as I, as I look back today, I realize that, that that was God taking care of Bo. And I would have told you God didn't know where I lived. But see, God knew how sick I was. And he knew it was going to take all 23 of those women for me. So he got curving out of town. <laughs> yeah. So then this lady walks up to me and she, and she introduces herself and I said, hi, and I'm Bo, and I stuck my hand out and she pushed my hand aside. She wanted to hug my neck. I belong to one of the hugginess meet, meetings in the uh, southeastern United I may be the United States. But anyhow, uh, I wasn't real huggable that night. And I pushed her hand away. Second lady came up. Same thing happened. I stuck my hand out. And she wanted to give me a hug. And then one of our seasoned veterans stepped up. She saw what was happening. See, we're not old timers. Once you become one of them, you, you change it to seasoned veterans. So that's what we are now, guys. And uh, so uh, one of our seasoned veterans came up. And she said, Bo, come, come with me. And she took me to the back of the room, and she took one of those chairs, and she set it just inside the door at the back of the room. Now, folks, this is old-time recovery. And she pointed at that chair, and she said, Bo, we want you to come back uh, as often as you can. And we want you to know that you never have to come any further in this room except this chair right here. This is Bo's chair. And... Uh, uh, you don't have to come down here. If it was a lot of times we, we f sit in a circle. Uh, if you don't want to do that, you don't have to. You can just sit right here and listen. And uh, so, uh, uh, and then the other thing they did that night was they assigned one of those women to me. Now, we believe in rotation down at our group, so... She's changed every 30 days. And here's her job. Like I said, we, we close our meetings by standing, holding hands, and saying the Lord's Prayer. Now, being sponsored by old-timers, I've been taught that the Lord's Prayer ends with the word Amen. Consequently, I'm not allowed to say anything after the word Amen. So I would sit back there and, in my chair 
Now, I was raised in that Southern Baptist church, so I, I knew about God, and I loved the Lord's Prayer. And when it came time to close the meeting, I'd go up there and get in the circle, and I'd hold hands. Well, while I had my eyes closed saying the Lord's Prayer, whoever was assigned to me that month would slip out of the circle and go around and get between me and the door. Because they knew when I said amen, I was dropping hands and I was headed for the door. Well, see, she was there to give me my going home hug. Yeah. And I learned real quick, I could hug one and get out of there. If I hung around, I had to hug 23. And every time I would hug that gal, whoever she was, she'd, she'd give me a big hug and she'd whisper in my ear. And she'd say, now, Bo, you keep coming back because we need you. Okay. If you needed me, I mean, I wanted to help. Uh, what I didn't tell you was I'd been hearing what you were saying. And see, what's going on is my miracle was in the process of happening and I didn't even know it. I didn't even know it. And those gals down there in that group started using those old-time Al-Anon tactics where they began to put the Al-Anon hooks in me and they didn't tell me about it and didn't let me know it. And it kept me there for seven months until my miracle could happen. And the first hook that they began to use was those hugs. See, they taught me how to hug and how to become huggable without ever telling me I had to. Yeah. Let me tell you about the second thing, second hook they used that kept me there. And it's become even more important to me today. It's a hook called laughter. You remember the laughter when you first got here? I'm not talking about that laughter that hurts your teeth, you know. <laughs> not that. <laughs> I'm talking about real laughter. See, I remember that real laughter. That first night when I got there, it uh, we it was a speaker meeting, and one of our seasoned veterans was telling her story. So they got the meeting open and they introduced her, and she walked up front to the podium. She said, "Hi, my name's Doris, and it's been 14 years since I had to plan a murder." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the whole room erupted and laughed. Everybody except me. And I was sitting right down there right front row, and I said, uh-uh, I'll never admit that. Uh-uh, because I've been planning that murder just like most of y'all have. Yeah, yeah I was going to kill Shirley and tell God she died. And, uh, <laughs> but never did get around to it. <laughs> so, uh, but before I left that meeting that night, I knew that there was nobody in there laughing at Doris. They were laughing with her. Because her story was so full of laughter. And that's what I needed as a newcomer that night. I needed to hear that laughter. Now, let me tell you how important laughter has become to me now, today. I got a God in my life today that loves me so much that he just he performs miracles in my life on a regular basis. And the other thing is that God has opened up my ears and my heart where I can recognize miracles that are happening to you. And sometimes you don't even know they're happening. And this is most evident for me with a newcomer. Let a newcomer come into the meeting. They ain't laughing. Uh-uh. They, they, they ain't got anything to laugh about. 
They're full of fear. They're full of guilt. They're full of shame and embarrassment. They don't know if this is going to work or not. And they're not, they're not, they're not laughing. And I very silently, without moving my lips, I say, God, there's another miracle. I hope we get through it. I hope I'm going to watch. I hope it happens. And I watch that newcomer, and I begin to be one of the ones that very gently put those hooks in her and, or him and not tell him about it. Got to be careful. Got to, you know, sometimes they don't, just like me when I first got there, they don't want to hug. And that's okay. You tell them that's okay. But you love them. You love them. And you do everything you can to get them back, to hold on to them. And after they've been coming just a short period of time, they'll come in there and they ain't frowning. Now, maybe they're not laughing yet, but they ain't frowning. You know? And I said, all right, God, you're in charge, and it's happening. Let them, let them keep coming, and one night they walk in there and somebody says something funny, and they, they laugh. And I said, thank you, God, one more time. You've allowed me to watch this miracle happen. So start watching those newcomers and watching those miracles happen. So uh, hugs and laughter. One more hook. Most important hook of all. It's a hook called unconditional love. And those gals began to cover me up with unconditional love that very first night. And at the, in the beginning, of course, I had no concept of what it was. I just knew that they did things differently from the way I'd been living. The way I'd been living, if I did something for you, you owed me. And I let you know. And uh, so, uh, and I'd let you know when you owed me one. And it was a payback thing. But I got to Al-Anon and they, they just kept doing stuff for me and never asking me anything in return. You know, I'd get there and they'd meet me at the door and they'd tell me they were glad to see me. They'd welcome me back. They'd ask me if I had any questions. They'd include me in everything that was going on. And, uh, uh, and that was strange for me. I liked it. Then one night I showed up and the topic of the meeting was unconditional love. And so now I had a name for it. So what I did was I immediately proclaimed Bo as the king of sopping up unconditional love in the southeastern United States. And of course, being a good Al-Anon, once I, I, I made that proclamation, then the next thing that shot through my mind was, well, if you're going to be so good at sopping it up, how good are you going to be at giving it away? And so I set out to learn all I could about unconditional love so that I could be the best there ever was at giving it away. And I was, I was going to learn that by by uh, rubbing up against the old timers, the, the seasoned veterans and uh Asking them questions, and uh, boy, I used to just worry them to death. And uh, but they, you know, they seem to appreciate it too. You know, old timers like to be asked questions. They they're full of information, and we're just letting them walk around without asking them. Maybe we need to be asking them more. So uh, so anyhow, uh, I'm uh, I'm running around everywhere trying to. Uh, find out about unconditional love and and uh, being a male Al-Anon well uh, back 
back in those days. It, it wasn't too many years before I began to get um, invitations to go and talk. And uh, so I got an invitation to go speak at the Spring Roundup in San Diego, California. And uh, gorgeous place. <laughs> and I was out there, and, and the Friday night speaker was a, was an AA speaker. He was one of those circuit speakers. And I'd, I'd heard his tapes, and I, and I loved what he talked about. And uh, he was going to be the Friday night speaker, boy. So I was in there on Friday night, and I was down there on that front row. And uh, he gets into his talk, and all of a sudden he says, you know, I want to hold on. I want to talk about something different for just a minute. He said, I want to talk about the most important thing in my life today. Now, this is a guy with 30 years sobriety at that time. Oh, boy, I'm sitting there, and I, well, I know what that is. That's his sobriety. That's his recovery. Yeah. And I was wrong. That wasn't what he said. He said the most important thing to me today is my relationship with God. And I, 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 my ears tuned up and said, you better hear this. And so he starts talking and sharing with us about his relationship with God. And he says, my relationship with God, I call that the vertical. My relationship with y'all, I call that the horizontal. And what I've learned today is that as long as I'm okay vertically, then I'm okay horizontally. In other words, when I'm in tune with God and I'm spiritually fit, I don't have any problems with you. So he said, what I do today is... Uh, if I start having problems with you, I don't come to you. I go to my sponsor. And we, we do some talking and we do some praying and we get me back where I'm spiritually fit. And once, once we get done with that, all of a sudden the, the problem, problems I had out here just, uh, they don't exist anymore. And uh, so he said, what I do today, what I work on the hardest today is my relationship with God. And he said, and I, I start every day by having a talk with God and asking God to come into my life and direct my life today. And then I ask him to make me the best child of God that I can be on a daily basis. And he said, when I'm in tune spiritually and I am being the best child of God that I can be today, then God uses me as a channel of his love. And God loves you through me. Now, when you're in tune spiritually and you're spiritually fit, then God will use you as a channel of his love and God will love me through you. And he said, oh, and by the way, God's love is unconditional. And he gave me the answer to unconditional love. See, I've been running around all over the United States and Canada trying to figure out how I could be the best. I don't got to be the best at unconditional love. I just got to be the best child of God I can be today because God is unconditional love. I ain't a bad deal for a guy that came here almost 34 years ago to learn how to keep his wife sober. I ain't a bad deal. So uh, those are the three hooks that they used to keep me here. And uh, then... Uh, the other thing that I do in order to tell you I'm a member of Al-Anon is I take those 12 simple steps that we read all the time. 
12 simple steps for a very complicated person. And to the best of my ability, I incorporate them in my life on a daily basis. Suiting up, showing up, being the best child of God that I can be today. So these are the things I do in order to tell you I'm a, I'm a member of Al-Anon. Now, I don't have time today because I really don't have that two or three hours. I don't have time to get a whole lot back into into what it was like, but I'm going to take some time and 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 um, get into what happened and what it's like today. And uh, uh, that all started, of course, when Shirley went to the treatment center, and she was up there 38 days. And then uh, uh, the kids and I picked her up uh, on a Saturday of Labor Day weekend with instructions to go. Uh, uh, 40 miles south to uh, the Bessemer AA group, which seven months later was to become my home group. And uh, the reason they sent us there is because the recovered alcoholics that worked in that treatment program knew my aunt and uncle. And my, my aunt and uncle at that time had 20 years of sobriety each, and they were members of the Bessemer group. So they sent us to the Bessemer group. So we get down there, and, and Uncle James and Aunt Katie are waiting on us, and they're forming this convoy to go down 40 more miles down the road to Tuscaloosa to this AA Al-Anon anniversary. And I'm looking around out there, and all I can tell you is it's, it grows as it goes. I'm up now where there was 85 vehicles in that convoy. Now, every one of them was a drunk vehicle. By that, I mean there wasn't a straight piece of sheet metal in sight. Uh, not a one of them had an air conditioner that worked. Uh, and Uncle James finally told them, you know, we had we had regular cars, two doors and four doors. We had Suburbans. We had pickup trucks with and without camper shells. We had a couple of wreckers. We had motorcycles. We had everything you could think of. And we got ready to form that convoy, and Uncle James said, all right, let's load up. And, uh, boy, there was a rush, and I grabbed Shirley and both kids, and I said, get out of the way. So said, it's going to be one heck of a fight here because they had enough people there for 125 cars. But ain't nobody fight. They just kept climbing in them cars and rolling down windows and arms and legs sticking out everywhere and laughing and cutting up and having a blast. And off to Tuscaloosa we go for our introduction to y'all. Now, Sissy, our 13-year-old daughter, got her first resentment in, in recovery that night because um, at that time there was a, a coach down there at, at Alabama called Bear Bryant. And uh, the Tuscaloosa group had a red and white uh, football autographed by Bear Bryant. And uh, they were raffling it off. Uh, you know, it was a... A fundraiser and Sissy didn't win the football so she left there with a resentment <laughs> now let me tell you how good God was to us that night we had a male Al-Anon speaker 1982 female AA speaker I don't remember who he was where he was from or what he said I remember who that female AA speaker was I know where she was from and I could just about quote, quote you most of her talk and uh, so uh, we've uh, Shirley has stayed in touch with her, and 
uh, Marty now lives down in Baton Rouge. She was at hospital, living in hospital at that time. But she's today. She's my wife's sponsor. The very, the very, the lady that spoke at the first meeting we went to, and uh, so. Uh, we got home from that anniversary, for Shirley's first night home in 38 nights, and uh, we sat up till dawn with a gallon of milk and a two-pound bag of chocolate chip cookies <laughs> talking about y'all and what we had found down there. We, that thing about attraction rather than promotion, y'all got us that very first night. You pulled us right in. We couldn't believe y'all. And... Uh, and, and, and I know that we stayed up all night because I remember watching the sun come up. I didn't realize how important that was to me for a long time. But what that meant was if I saw the sun came up, come up, that meant we didn't have the drapes pulled anymore. The drapes were open. And they've been open ever since. Pretty important thing. So uh, we asked the kids to go to Alateen for four weeks, and then we would talk with them. And Mike went for his four weeks, and he said, Mom, it ain't for me. He said, I ain't about sitting in those rooms doing all that talking. And he said, uh, I'll go to those meetings when you get one of those medallions because they have cake. <laughs> and he said, and of course, if y'all go to a convention on the coast, I'll go to that. Sissy found her home. And it was two years later when Sissy was making an Alateen talk that we found out that the summer that her mother went into treatment, our daughter was contemplating suicide. And we didn't even know it. We missed it. And uh, Alateen saved her life. And then they did something real funny. They raised her for us. Yeah. And Sissy's 47 years old today. And uh, she's got uh, uh, 34 years of Alateen and Al Anon. She's still an active member of Al Anon today. Yeah. Uh, Aunt Katie was waiting on Shirley when we got there. She said, Shirley, you're not going to have the luxury of picking your sponsor. I am your sponsor. And she said, we're going to take that big book they gave you up at the treatment center, and we're going to get in the middle of it, and we're going to start taking a journey. And we're going to grow spiritually, and we're going to get well. And that's what they started. Mike, although Mike didn't go to a lot of meetings, Mike's attitude and, and the way he lived his life changed and uh, the only way I can tell you how to explain that is if you live in a home where there's active alcoholism you're affected if you live in a home where there's active recovery and the 12 spiritual principles of this program are practiced you'll be affected I remember one day Mike came in now he, 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 uh, he loved Alateen and he believed in Alateen uh and uh, he came in one day and he, he said, Sissy, I need to talk to you to get your Alateen book. Come to my room. They went in there and shut the door and they were in there about an hour and a half. They came out and Shirley looked at Mike and said, what was that all about? And he said, oh, it's closed meeting, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> 
So this is what we had going on out there. You know, uh, Mike was doing okay. Sissy was doing great. Shirley was doing great. And I was flopping around, occupying a chair in your room, getting worse. And it took seven months of that for me to throw another temper tantrum and to blow it all out of proportion again. And Shirley just stood there until I got over my rage. And she looked at me and she said, well, who are you going to blame this one on, big boy? I haven't had a drink in seven months. And that's when I knew that what I'd been hearing was true, that this was about me. So I went back to Bessemer and I found me a sponsor. And I remember, Curvin was gone. But there was a, a lady there that was old enough to be my mom. And uh, I had known her for years in the community, known about her and who she was for years in the uh, community because she was uh, a retired school principal. And there was a disciplinary inside to her that I didn't know about. But I learned. Uh, the, uh, I went up to Fran and I said, Fran, I said, I've got to have some help. And I said, will you help me? And she said, yeah, Bo, I'll help you. But I, the only way I know to help you is the way I was helped. And I said, what's that? And she said, that's in the steps. And if you're willing tonight to commit to me to make a conscious attempt to implement these 12 spiritual principles in your life, then, son, I'm ready to take you by the hand and walk with you. Oh, I didn't mention, too, that Fran was a past delegate, so she believed in service. So I was raised in service. And uh, about 90 days into this thing, we knew I needed to talk to a man. So she said, go out there in the AA room, pick you up. AA's working a good 12-step program. And we'll make him part of this relationship. And I just happened to pick the one that she'd been married to forever. And uh, Jim and Fran became my mentors and my guides. And you see, that's one more time. That was God. God gave me the best of AA and the best of Al-Anon because he knew just how sick I was. And uh, so we started, uh, started along this uh, spiritual path. And I got to the point where I thought I needed to write an inventory. And I didn't think I needed to talk to Jim and Fran about it and get any guidance. I just started trying to write an inventory, and I just made a mess, total mess. So I was a kind of, uh, here's the kind of pigeon I was. I didn't call till, till I was in the ditch. And Fran was a great, great listener. So I, I called her up after I realized I wasn't going to be able to get this inventory done, and she answered the phone, and and, and about all she heard was, ah, 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 And finally she said, Bo, this sounds like 5.30. Well, let me tell you what was important about 5.30. Uh, 5.30 meeting at Jim and Friends, I was not, I couldn't miss. I could not make an excuse. I, could, I had to be there. It was his absolute mandatory. So I knew that I had to be at their kitchen at 5.30 that afternoon. Friend would have a pot of coffee made. Because that's when Jim got home from work. And we would sit there in the kitchen table. So I'm there and I've got my coffee and she's got hers. And Jim comes in and says, well, what's going on, big boy? I said, Jim, I'm trying to write inventory and I can't get it done. And before I could say another word, friend says, well, of course you can't get it done. Of course you're having trouble. I said, friend, where do you get all this all this uh, knowledge. 
She said, Bo, you've got to be in trouble if you're trying to do a fourth step because you're still hung up in the third step. And she said, I've been telling you since you was he got here that these steps are numbered for dummies like you. <laughs> and uh, so Jim just stood up and took me by the hand and said, come with me. And we went back to his study and we sat down at the desk in his study and he turned around Got a book off the shelf and brought it around there and put it in front of us. And it was the textbook Alcoholics Anonymous. And he took this Al-Anon that afternoon into the textbook Alcoholics Anonymous into the chapter to the agnostic. Because, see, I had that Southern Baptist God. Uh, uh, I don't know. It's not a Southern Baptist God. It's a God that I brought from the Southern Baptist Church. Let me rephrase that. He was a judging and punishing God. And I wasn't about to have anything to do with him. And what I found on the pages of the big book is a, a God of infinite power and of infinite love. Can you imagine that? Never ending, inexhaustible power and love. And what I know today is that the God I have in my life today is so busy up there loving me and forgiving me, he wouldn't have time to judge me and punish me if he wanted to. And that's the kind of relationship I, I keep him real busy, folks, loving me and forgiving me. And that's the kind of relationship I have. I'm riding down the road and I, and I, need, to, uh, I need to talk to God about something. I say, hey, God. And we talk about it. That, that's the kind of relationship I have with my God today. A God of infinite power and of infinite love. So see, now that i got this new concept of God, I'm off and running. Running just as hard away from God as I could. Because in that Southern Baptist Church, when you turned it all over to God, they made you a song director. Or a, worse of all, a missionary. And God, my God loves me so much that he just allows me to run just as hard as I want to. See, God has never taken away my free will from me. I have to give it to him. And he allows me to reach back in there and take it anytime I want to. And I can just start acting crazy and running and he'll let me get just as sick as I need to get. But quick as I can't take any more he's closer than my next breath to take the pain away right never leaves me never leaves me so uh, so then I began to have a little bit of spiritual growth I began to catch up with Shirley and and uh, Mike and Sissy I'm gonna have to plug on along here I'm running out of time uh, so uh, about five and a half months into uh into us getting into AA and Al-Anon and Alateen, uh, we decided to do something as a family we hadn't been able to do in a long time, and that was go on a vacation. And we had this vacation all planned, and uh, and it was, uh, Sissy was just getting home from uh, her first year of college. Uh, Mike didn't want to go to college. He uh, uh, he had a great job. He, he, he still lived at home. Uh, had a great job, great, good money. Uh, and uh, so we were preparing to leave on this vacation. And, uh, and on May 17th, 1988, Mike was killed by a drunk driver. Now, 
I, I share this with you for two reasons. One, because Mike's part of our life and it's part of our story. But two, I want to share with you how y'all reacted to this. Because you see, Shirley and Sissy and I went into an absolute just stupor. Okay? That's where it puts you, I think. That's where God puts you so you don't do anything real stupid. And, uh, but uh, at midnight, I called a friend. I didn't call my mom. I didn't call my brother. I called my sponsor. That's before cell phones. She said, hang the phone up, son. I said, I don't want to. And she said, I can't come to you as long as I'm talking to you on the phone. See, that's what this program is about. We come to each other. We don't run away. We come to. And let me tell you something. When we gather together in a room like this, there's a spiritual power that, that, that's here that my mind can't comprehend. Within 45 minutes of us learning of Mike's death, A.A. and Al-Anon was in our home. Now the family came and they had to go home and take care of their kids. The Baptist church came by and dropped the fried chicken and tater salad and they left. A.A. and Al-Anon and Alateen, y'all came and stayed 24 hours a day. You didn't leave us alone. Katie got the girls together at the Bessemer group and made up a list of three-hour shifts Every three hours, for 24 hours a day, every three hours there was a new gal showed up there to what, what look after Shirley. Make sure that Shirley drank some milk, ate a cracker, didn't do anything she wasn't supposed to. I remember when one of those girls, uh, Mike had just bought a new motorcycle, and Shirley said, I'm going out and sit on Mike's bike. And that girl looked at me and I said, you ever sit on a bike? I said, go sit on the bike with her. And that's what they did. See, they took care of us. They took care of us. Uh, so many more things that I wish I could tell you, they had time to tell you about that. But one of the things that bothered me was it was my wife going to drink. I was scared to death that Shirley was going to drink. Uh, I think I said five and a half months while ago. I meant five and a half years. Uh, I, and I was afraid she was going to drink. And I talked to God about it, and I said, You know, God, if there ever was a reason for one to drink, this would be it, losing their firstborn this way. And uh, so I said, God, if it comes down to whether she's going to drink or blow her brains out, let her drink. We can get her back from that. And I gave my my wife, and I didn't tell Shirley, but I gave her permission to drink. But she didn't drink. She didn't drink. And that confused me. Yeah. And it was over a year later that God revealed to me why my wife didn't drink during that period. My wife didn't drink during that period because she was spiritually fit at the time. And you see, this is the way I understand the thing today. I, if I'm spiritually fit and I have a problem that I can't handle, God comes down and puts a shield around me. And whatever that problem is can't penetrate that shield. I'm protected. Protected. And that's what happened with us. We experienced that. 
See, when I talk to you today, I don't have to talk to you about I believe this or I believe that. No, I talk to you about I know this or I know that. Because we've experienced it. And then we started that walk through the deepest, darkest tunnel that a daddy will ever have to walk through. But I never took a step of that walk alone because, you see, I couldn't. You had this hand. God had this hand. And we made that walk. And I know, I'm here to tell you today, I know this from my own experience. There ain't nothing out there that that world can throw at this old boy that he can't walk through. As long as I'm in the middle of you and I'm spiritually fit. If I got you and I got God, I'm okay. That's why I'm still here after 34 years. That's why I'm going to continue to be here. For as long as it goes. Yeah, right in the middle. Right in the middle. Uh, Sissy got married. Uh, and uh, she and Bob decided they wanted to get married in that Southern Baptist Church where Shirley and I got married because you see, it, it worked for me and Shirley. Uh, you know, if Shirley. If Shirley will stay sober two more weeks, she'll have 34 years of sobriety. I got to get back home tomorrow afternoon and 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 be on watch. You know, take care of that. Yeah. Uh, but let me tell you, probably an even bigger miracle. April the 30th, Shirley and I celebrated 52 years of marriage. So Bob and Sissy wanted to get married in that in that uh, uh, Southern Baptist Church out there in Hewittown. The, the one of the counselors we had during Hell Week was a retired Methodist minister. Uh, he was quite a guy. He was a minister of one of the biggest Methodist churches in the area and got tired of burying his his uh, congregation that couldn't get sober. So he quit preaching and went to working in a treatment center. Yeah, and he found out about Bob and Sissy and he called and he said ain't nobody marrying that couple but me and uh, so we're down there at that Baptist church I, it was full of folks about 80% of them was y'all yeah. uh, we opened that wedding with a serenity prayer we closed it with a Lord's prayer and I still have a resentment in my wife today because she wouldn't let me pass the basket. <laughs> I just spent a bunch of money. <laughs> so that's when we sold the big house in Hueytown and, and being, we, we moved out there to, to West Blockton and we put a, a manufactured home on top of the hill for me and Shirley and one down at the bottom of the hill for Bob and Sissy. And... Uh, after about 10 years of that, well, Bob had a massive heart attack and died right there in the front yard. And uh, he died on Thursday, and Bessemer's AA and Al-Anon anniversary was on Saturday night. Well, the funeral wasn't going to be till Monday. So you know where we were Saturday night? Right where we were supposed to be. And those people couldn't believe us. I said, yeah, where else are we going to go? Who else is going to take care of us like y'all? 
And that's where, you know, we run too. We run too. Uh, so, uh, 1999, we found out that Sissy had an aneurysm in her brain. And boy, you think I didn't go off at God on that one? Come on, God, you got my boy. What's going on here? We're doing what we're supposed to do. We're going to meetings. We're sponsoring people. We blah, 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 blah. And, of course, I didn't get any answers to those kind of demands. Those are not prayers. Those are just demands. And uh, so I was such a basket case that Sissy sent, asked me to go see her brain surgeon with her. They scheduled the surgery pretty quick because it was a big aneurysm. And uh, so uh, she had to go up there and see him a couple of days before surgery, and she took me with her. And... Uh, so we got inside. Now, this is a brain surgeon. And we walked inside his waiting room. Sissy took me over to the wall, and she said, I want you to read that plaque there. And uh, here's what the plaque said. It said, this medical practice believes in spiritual healing. And if you don't adhere to those principles, we suggest you find another doctor. Yeah. Uh, we walked in the doctor's office. Sissy took me in there with him. And he had one question that he needed to ask her. He said, tell me about your God. And after about 30 minutes, he said, I think we can get along. Of course, you know the deal. Textbook surgery. Because God was there. Yeah. Uh, operated on Tuesday. Came into a room on uh, Saturday morning and said, go home. Get out of my hospital. I've done all I can do for you. All you've got to do is go home and let the car heal. On the way out, stop by that waiting room down there by intensive, surgical intensive care, which is where she was. And he said, tell those people they can go home. That was y'all. Y'all had been there since Tuesday morning. <laughs> 24 hours a day since she was operated on. And the doctor says, looked at me and, and he says, you know, the nurses have fallen in love with those people. But we just can't have any more pizza parties down there in the, in, <laughs> in the waiting room. That's what we got here. That's what we got here. Yeah. So, uh, anyhow... Uh, about five, six years ago, seven years ago, we had a black lab wandered up our driveway. Beautiful, gorgeous, black lab. And she adopted us. We don't know where she came from, how she got there. Now, we live out in the middle of the woods. So we fed her for about 90 days and, and, uh, and then uh, decided she was going to hang around. I wanted to name her Onyx. And uh, Shirley wouldn't let me because that was the name of our garbage company. <laughs> and uh, so uh, one night I took some garbage out to the garbage can at the corner of the house. And uh, I, I wasn't used to her being around so much at that time. And she sneaked up behind me and scared the bejeebies out of me. And I named her Spook right then. <laughs> and that's been her name ever since. Yeah. We take her to the vet. They have her listed as spooky. 
uh, she gets to go to the spa occasionally. And uh, so uh, uh, I told you that Bob died, and I told you Sissy had her operation. A couple of, year, uh, a couple of years ago, I started having some medical problems, uh, serious medical problems, and I ended up in uh, intensive care for five days, totally out of my mind. Uh, I had visions and thoughts while I was in that period. What was happening was I had double pneumonia and uh, intestinal flu and a blood sugar of 650. And they were having to treat the double double pneumonia with uh, uh, steroids, but steroids jack up your blood sugar. So we were walking a fine line trying, or they were. And uh, so anyhow, while I was off in one of these one of these deals, uh, it was the greatest thing ever happened to me. I found myself in a in a, in a strange place, and I, and I didn't recognize it. And it was it didn't have a lot of color to it. It was kind of chocolate brown, and it, and uh, uh, and it was cold in that place. And I got real scared. Because I didn't didn't understand it, and I was and, I'm, and then I heard my voice saying, "God, I'm scared. I uh, I don't want to be here. Now, if it's my time to go home, that'd be okay. Because I'm ready, and you know I'm ready. Now, God, if I have my choice, I want to hang around a while longer. But if it's time, and this is part of it." Then I'm ready. But God, if this is not part of it, I need your help. And immediately, right out in front of me, a little pinhole. And then it began to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And as the picture got bigger, the brown was cleared away and was replaced by the most beautiful blue sky that you've ever seen. And then I woke up laying there in that ICU bed, and my male nurse was standing there beside me, and he said, where have you been? I said, well, you probably wouldn't believe it. He said, I don't know whether I'd believe it or not, but I know one thing. There's a big smile came on your face right at the end. So maybe that was worth it. My blood sugar's a lot better today. I'm having to lose weight. See, but I'm doing that. And that's going to help me live longer. And uh, during the last uh, probably five months, I've lost, uh, we're not totally sure, but we're pretty much sure it's around 45 pounds. And my blood sugar this morning was 103. Yeah. And uh, so uh, so I got to close. I'm out of time. Uh Shirley sends her love. Uh, Spooky sends her love. <laughs> We've got an alipup back there. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so I want to close this this talk by making a deal with you. And I've made this deal with some people in this room, so I know the deal works. You see, I'm one of those Alanons that's never seen the burning bush, and I've never experienced the cool breeze. But God talks to me today more often and more regular than he ever has in my life. And when God talks to me today, usually it looks and sounds a whole lot like you. 
So now that you know that you are my channel, you know just how important you are to me. So here's the deal. I'm going to keep coming back. Rooms like this full of folks just like you. Now you're part of the deal. I want you to keep coming back. Rooms like this full of folks like us. And if I keep coming back and you keep coming back, then someday, somewhere down the road, our paths will cross again as we trudge this road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then, thank you so much.